This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. Okay, here we are. I'm starting with the opening lines for this guest from our yearbook 20 years ago. You ready? Okay. Yes. Le Venerable Monsieur A.K., a gentleman, a true master of style and grace, always impeccably groomed, he dressed according to the very latest fashion trends, even during more risque events, such as the pajama party at the end of P3. As the superb host of the legendary Fontainebleau Soirees Chez AK, he also made sure that we were pampered most extravagantly. But this is not all. As a regular at the party scene, he used his Fred Astaire dancing talent to impress the ladies on the dance floor. With the ever-sharp remarks in class on just about any topic, he did do his best to educate us in the advantages of tax-free havens and numbered bank accounts. And yes, that, as with everything else of any importance in the whole of Europe or even the world, would be in Luxembourg. Well, that's giving away a lot, but here you go. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast. And... Yes, you are the mystery guest that does Fred Astaire and still dresses impeccably well. I can attest to that. So, how are you? I'm great. It's just really... Hi, Melena. It's really funny to listen to this. And um, uh, I actually still believe that uh, Luxembourg is very important. And I try to entertain my dancing skills. I don't know if they match what they were at the time, but I try to keep up. Well, hopefully we'll get to see and test this in a few months. So. Yes. Stay tuned. But in the meantime, let's start from, well, the beginning, the end, the last 20 years for you in a nutshell. If you can walk us through what you've been up to in the last 20 years and where you've ended up today, and then we have more. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I would try to make this uh, short and brief. So basically, after uh, INSEAD, uh, I went back to a big four, which is really not what I, what I intended to do. So I ended up being at EY. Uh, when leaving INSEAD, and I had an offer which I couldn't refuse, which was to build up the private equity practice, uh, first in Luxembourg and then uh, in Europe. So that's basically what I did the first couple of years after INSEAD. And then in 2009, there was a real crisis in the Ernst & Young partnership in Luxembourg, lack of strategy, difficult management, uh, no cost control, low earnings, etc., etc. And basically, at the time, I had put my head on the table to... Uh, to become the, the new managing partner and I was elected. That was back in 2009. And so from 2009 to 2020, I was actually having two hats. One was the, the local managing partner of EY in Luxembourg, which is a, it's a firm of about 1,700 employees. 
And uh, the second one was to be the, the private equity leader for EMEA, Europe, Middle East, India, Africa. So that, that was basically the main of my career in the, since leaving INSEAD. Uh, I always had also a kind of public vibe in myself, which is that I was always very much engaged into politics, not in the first row, but in the second or in the third row by co-managing electoral campaigns three or four times, actually four times. Uh, and uh, so my party uh, came to government in 2013 and is still in government. And uh, we are having the, the prime minister here in Luxembourg. And so uh, this came with a lot of additional, I would say, party work for me. And myself, I was appointed to the state council in Luxembourg, which is kind of the, you could say, the Senate or the upper house. And I'm, I'm actually the, today the vice president of that of that chamber. So I kind of kept these two these two hats. And uh, yeah, and then in 2019, I was approaching to be 50. And I thought, uh, well, you know, working for Big Four is great, but I have been there for 25 years. It's super intense. And I came to a point where, I mean, quite frankly, I was quite exhausted. Uh, people, to, I mean, I did not have the burnout like it is today popular to, to call, but it was just being tired, uh, having difficulties to sleep, and just also having the impression I was doing the same thing all over again because I was managing partner for 11 years, which is extremely long. Uh, normally, it's four or maximum eight. And so uh, after a lot of sleepless night, I then uh, decided to, to leave EY. So I informed my partners one year and a half in advance. So we had a very smooth transition process. And in January 21, I completely left. And I basically started to do other things, which I enjoy very much doing, which is that uh, with a couple of people, I created a small um, private equity uh, entity where we are investing our own little money and the money of family and friends, if you want, uh, only private equity funds and private equity direct investments. So that's one. Uh, the other one is that with a long-time partner, which has been my long-time boss, at Arsenal Anderson and EY, we created a little boutique, let's call it a little boutique M&A type of firm where we just do one or two deals per year, very specific, very complicated situation. Deals which normally do not come on the market, which we try to unlock. And then the last thing is that I took a couple of boards. I have five today. So the idea is not to be a full-time independent board director and to have 20 boards, but to have uh, maybe five, six, seven uh, really interesting, serious um, boards where, where, where I actually can make, hopefully, hopefully make a, uh, make a difference. So, for example, I'm, uh, I have a very diversified portfolio. One is a, a company which is quoted on uh, the Euronext, which is the largest uh, stainless steel maker in the world. So industrial company, uh, them on, on the board of a, uh, the largest Luxembourgish insurance company, uh, another one is a French private equity firm. So it's it, it's quite diversified in, in terms of uh, things which I'm doing. And I think last but not least, um, I'm spending more private time. So I have more time to practice my dancing skills uh, and invite people for, for nice dinners uh, and spend more time with the people um, I'm close to. That's nice. So basically... Uh, one of the questions in the last section of the podcast I have is retirement ever or never. And the way it sounds to me is you've done the retirement bit in the 
classical job, you've moved away from the classical career, you are done with that, and now it's in, onto the portfolio. A few years ago, I was trying to explain to someone what I was doing, and I was struggling because I do too many things. And at some point, it was a headhunter. He said, oh, you have a portfolio career. So basically now you are, to me, it sounds like you're into the portfolio side of life and also enjoying life. What is most challenging? So with you, I'm starting a bit backwards. What is more challenging to this setup? So we'll talk about the previous 20 years with ENY, et cetera, a bit later, but what is most challenging in having so many different activities for you? Yeah, I think it's a great point because when you uh, are a full-time CEO, you have only one job, right? You have one company you focus on, although there are various uh, tasks within that job, but it's still one job. Uh, it's true that when you have, as you say, it's, I think it's a good word, a portfolio of activities, which are very diverse, like the ones I mentioned, uh, I think uh, I can just speak for myself, but it's, it, it requires a lot of organization and planning. That means that, you know, for example, the, the boutique M&A stuff I was talking to you, this is like one day a week where I sit in our common office with my partner and, you know, that's on Wednesdays and we concentrate on that. Of course, there are always exceptions, but, you know, the, the state council is Monday afternoons and Thursday mornings. Um, so it, it's kind of organized uh, and in my boards is a bit the same. So I, I, one I didn't mention, for example, uh, my board, which takes the most time, is the Luxembourg Stock Exchange because I'm the president of the Luxembourg Stock Exchange. Now, the good thing is if when you're the chairman, you impose the agenda. And so when you're a member of boards, you can't impose it. However, I tried to clarify it before I join. And if it doesn't fit the agenda, I don't go. And I think that's the... The luxury is that um, you, you can pick and choose. And uh, so that way, actually, the, the activities you have need kind of to fit into, into something where your week is a little bit organized because otherwise it's a mess because then you, you, you get conflicts in your agenda all the time and you spend your time sorting out conflicts. So, and there are weeks, I mean, last week for me uh, was, for example, a terrible week because like end of June, you have a lot of board meetings, a lot of stuff coming together. So it's never perfect. But I think by and large, uh, it works pretty well, subject to the condition of making the other people also respect your own agenda, which, I mean, in my life as a consultant before was impossible because you need to adapt to the needs of your clients and not vice versa. So that's a really big change. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of consulting, so ENY, 25 years, you said, in total. In yeah, I mean, Anderson and EY, yeah. because Anderson was uh, yeah. bought by, uh, so by EY. So it's, it's, it's an industry or the big four, or I lose track of big how many there are, but it's, it's a controversial um, industry, right? They always, one of them always ends up in a scandal somewhere around the world, right? So can you give running commentary on... Is this cycle ever avoidable or will continue to... Because they split the consulting and then 10 years later, they are back into consulting and it's the inherent conflict of interest between auditing and consulting that's, that's there. So what, what can you comment as a running commentary on the industry being outside of it already? So just yeah. your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's a very difficult question. I think I can give you my own views. Of, obviously, there are different, very different views on that subject. 
Now, my view on that is that, first of all, I think that the big fours are a fantastic uh, school and it's for people because there are so many. I just take the, the one I was leading. We were hiring about 400 people per year. And uh, most of these people went back into the industry after a couple of years. So it's a kind of you're making a kind of training for the entire ecosystem. Um, the other thing is it's a fantastic career opportunity. Uh, uh, it's a very socialist, communist, uh, you could say, egalitarian okay. system where based on meritocratic, no matter who you are, who your parents are, whether you're black, white, whatever, your religion, nobody cares. The only what, thing that matters is your performance. Yeah. So it's by essence the system based on meritocracy. Um, and I think that's a real, you know, a real good thing. Uh, I think it's probably the the type of companies which gives you the maximum objectivity when it comes to the evaluation, the career progression and reward. Of, it's never perfect, but I think it's it's probably among the best you can find in the industry. So that's what is really great. Um, I think it, it's, it's uh, not something for everybody because, yes, you work 80 hours a week if you want to progress, uh, and uh, it is a tough school. And, uh, but that's also part of the natural segregation. So people who want an easier life, well, they just don't join. I mean, uh, so, and so it, it's, it's, it's something for people who want that type of fast learning, fast career, fast progression. Um, in terms of consulting and audit and tax being together, my personal view is that uh, the multidisciplinary service firm is is what offers the best type of service because if you do an audit today, what is an audit? You know, it's like very, very heavy IT related. You know, it's like more and more artificial intelligence used. Um, um, then you have a lot of specialists required into tax, for example. And if you segregate those, well, I mean, often it's the tax consultants and the IT consultants which work as consultants which also help out on the audit. And um, if, they, if, if you don't have that, well, I mean, the people you will have inside the audit firm will not have the same expertise, the same uh, skill set than the ones who work also in consulting and tax. And, um, and from a career perspective, it will not be attractive to be a tax specialist in a pure audit firm, and you can never do tax consulting. So I think that... that um, it's, uh, it's better to keep it together from a client perspective, if you're a client of a big four. And I think the conflict of interest can be easily managed because there are four big fours. So each one has a natural uh, share of the audit market of 25%. So there are 75% left where you can do consulting. I mean, it's a wrong debate. It's just, it's just the way you know, it needs to be organized. Now, there is a big temptation for the split, as you could see with EY, uh, it happened with Arthur Anderson when Arthur Anderson split and created Anderson Consulting, which became Accenture. Well, uh, 10 years later, uh, or even not 10, I mean, a few years later, Arthur Anderson was rebuilding its consulting. And so, you know, it's, it's I would say it's great. Uh, it can be, I think in the case of EY, I don't want to go too much into details. I think there was a lot of strategic logic to do it. And actually, think in the case of EY, uh, there was a real business case to do, you know, the very first, as a first mover, the first pure audit firm and basically accelerate the growth in consulting through an IPO. I, I think the plan of EY was actually a good plan, but they couldn't pull it through. But, over, but, but overall for the industry, 
uh, I think that um, there is also a lot of benefit to have multidisciplinary service firms. There you go. So one more thing you mentioned is you weren't sleeping for a while. So can we talk a little bit about stress? And then you mentioned also 80-hour weeks, which in some other industries, the more senior you get, the hours get a bit more manageable. I mean, if you are senior, it's always bad. But 80 hours sustained for 20 or 25 years is rather extreme. So can you talk a bit about how you manage that? And obviously you chose to then exit. So to retire from this side of life. But Yeah, I mean, in my case, it was actually uh, less hours when I was uh, an assistant or senior or even manager. But once I became a partner, and specifically when I became managing partner, it's where it really went to the 80 hours. Before, I think it was more like 60, something like that. Uh, and then the last 12 or the last 15 years have more been in the 80 range. I think it's too much. Um, yeah, I think it's just too much. But um, the reality is that I think it's the same for if you manage a law firm or if you manage a large strategic consulting firm. Um you there is an expectation that you are there for your clients and for your people and you cannot control this if there is a fire somewhere because a consulting job turns sore you need to intervene if a partner wants to speak to you you cannot say i'm tired or i have no time or go and see somebody else so you you managing a partnership takes an awful lot of time because you have, I had about a hundred equity partners, sorry, about 50 equity partners and 50 salary partners. And um, so these are all people who come in in the morning and who say, well, um, you know, I, I know what to do. I'm a great guy. I've got great girl. I'm an alpha person. And uh, I, I know how, how to manage this firm. And so it's a company where your owners come to work in the office every day. There are not many companies where the owners work every day. And uh, so you need to manage that group of people that they work together as an orchestra, that they feel motivated, that they feel stretched, but not too much, etc., etc. And that just takes a lot of time. And um, you need to work on strategy. You need to work on kind of all kinds of matters. And so in addition to that, you have a public function because you need to represent your company in the market, make presentations, lobbying, um, all these kind of things. And somehow I did not manage to do it less than 80 hours. My successor told me that he's a, he said, I'm not going to work as much as you. Now he's in the job for two years. He's telling me, Ugh, it's, <laughs> I'm getting close to. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I think that, the, that, I mean, there are people who are saying that, you know, you, you, you should not ask the hour question. It's a matter of organization. I think that's rubbish. I mean, it's, it's just not true. The reality is, if you take that type of job, you just need to know it's going to be a phase in your life, maybe four years, maybe eight, where you're going to work crazy hours. If you don't like it, don't take it. That would be the way I would, I would look at it. And if you don't put in these hours, the chances are high you're going to fail. There you go. In my view. The realities of life in the fast lane. All right. So if we, so the four activities you have now, uh, private equity, boutique M&A, boards and politics, which one would you pick and comment on the challenges you have there and why it keeps you interested and why you picked doing that activity? Uh, on the private equity, 
the you know the family office investment platform or call it like like you wish what we created i would say it's really out of personal excitement for that industry uh, which has been my personal industry at ey as a client service partner i have always had mostly mostly private equity firms and um, and, and banks but mainly let's say 70% pe and so it's actually nice to be on the other side now and to be able to invest into private equity and and i'd say also use the network which um, i but not only me the, the the partners which are with me they are mainly lawyers have constructed in their life with both large and small pe houses and so we can actually get entries we can get tickets into these houses where otherwise while well, it would probably be much more difficult so so that's we and then we make other limited partners other investors benefit from that so we are kind of deal by deal platform so we proposing uh, a certain number of investments per year and our members our limited partners are deciding where they invest and not together with us um, so that's really nice um, it's it's uh, super exciting i think the other one the one i'm doing with my uh, former boss uh which is this boutique mna which i mentioned is very is, is very challenging because we are starting from scratch uh we currently have a first deal and these are very complex organizations um uh, transactions sorry because otherwise they would not come to us and they would go to an investment bank or uh, whoever and it's only he and me so we have no staff or we have one person and uh, so almost no staff and and uh, it's uh, but it's really what we like to do is really unlocking transactions but but again it's 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 um technically and and intellectually it's probably the most challenging from what i'm doing right now i think the other one which is which is not easy is being on a board when the company is in in distress when you learn what it means to normally we learn in insert corporate governance courses that as a board member you look into the tent right but you don't have to put your hands in the tent but unfortunately if um uh you know things turn so you need sometimes as a board member to replace management uh, you are ki- kind of like acting as cfo or whatever during a certain time uh, you 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 learn what it means um uh, to be a very very active and responsible board and that can be uh, very tense because instead of having five meetings a year you have a meeting per week uh, or two per week so i think that 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 is back to your portfolio management is that when you accept board memberships i think one always needs to have in mind that it can turn into a situation where it uh, changes your your time schedule completely when there are situations like this unfortunately and, and that you have, have mostly with startups mm. I mean, oh, yeah so you've had such a situation or you I have, have an yeah. ongoing mm. yeah Yeah. And But then it's also a great learning experience and it's a I mean I, I don't necessarily see that negatively but because a board member I don't see a board member just as a you know uh, five nice meetings uh, a year where you come and you say hello and drink a coffee and you go home I mean it's it should be something where you you bring something Yeah I was uh, interviewing Sylvia uh Ceres who's uh, been serving on boards for the last 14-15 years and her commentary was that boards have become a lot more professionalized and at least in Norway it's uh the days of the white pale and something else are I forget and male yeah are gone so 
because you say it's not just for meetings or five meetings where you have a nice dinner afterwards and pick the wine being the chairman i've been in such a situation in my life to be honest so uh, but anyhow all right so and politics then which is going to also bring us towards the topic of giving back but politics your involvement in politics i don't know i haven't yet probably we do have other classmates who've gone into politics but i I couldn't think from the top of my head. So what's your motivation there? What do you see there? Well, in, in my case, I joined the political party when I was 16. And uh, it was just so already when I was very young, I, I just was interested by politics because you can influence. And I think it's probably a bit easier in Luxembourg because we are so small. So you can maybe have an an it's easier maybe to, you know, to, to, to have an influence than if you are in a huge country. So I think that that probably plays a certain role. But uh, it's just a personal matter of interest. And I, I was hesitating a long time uh, to go into, uh, into politics, I mean, to go more active even into politics. Because I think that, you know, <clears throat> it's very fulfilling, actually, when you see that you can uh, make things change. So, so I think that's really the main driver. Now, I continued that then over over my entire life. I think I was, I had a little bit of chance also because when I was uh, a young liberal, so I'm I'm in a liberal party. I was the vice president of that party, and the then time president is the current prime minister. So basically, we have been working together for I don't know for thirty years or uh, something like this. And basically, most of the people who were there when I was a young liberal are in, in government today. So. Which, which is really nice because you have been struggling and working and, uh, you know, for, for a very long time. And uh, the question came to me in 2013, actually, to, to join the government. And at the time, I was in my fourth year as managing partner of EY, and I made the choice not to do that. So um, that shows that my political engagement is, is, is strong, but not, not, not that strong that I would want to become a full-time uh, politician and I think the the interesting thing is this the combination between business and, and politics a lot of people always told me oh my god you know you cannot be a managing partner of EY and clearly be a, have a political card you know because clients might not appreciate or whatever and I must say EY was always very supportive and I have always said you know what um, as as an organization we find this is the right thing to do because you are engaging in the community where you're living through politics. And as long as you are not, of course, um, in an extremist party or doing crazy things, um, it's, it's, it's absolutely fine. And I have never had problems um, with clients or conflicts on the contrary. You know? So it's, it's, uh, I, find it, I find it super exciting. It's, of course, it takes a lot of time. That's always, you, you know, we need to make choices. But it is very stimulating intellectually. If I take the state council now, it's what you're doing is basically you are reviewing and voting on laws uh, with regard to their compliance with EU directives, with the constitution, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, and, and so that means that you are automatically always aware of what's happening because you are obliged to read this stuff and write on this stuff. Uh, so, so you get also a benefit out of it. But you're doing it almost for free. I mean, you get paid, but it's like, like almost like if it's for free. So it's that that there is the side of giving back. I think you do it a bit for yourself because 
because it's very interesting. But at the same time, definitely you're not doing it for financial reasons. So you, 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 in that sense, you, you're giving something back. I think on the giving back, there are two things where I have spent a bit of time. One is I'm the representative of the Philippines to Luxembourg uh, because Luxembourg is so small, not every country pays in resident ambassadors, so they name um, locals to be their honorary consul, if you want. And um, so that's basically, you know, bilateral development. It's helping the community in Luxembourg with their problems. Uh, and the other one I'm, I'm doing since a long time is SOS Children's Villages, uh, where we are collecting funds to build uh, villages in, in poor countries and uh, support kids. So. Yeah. Well, and with regards to INSEAD, I should note that uh, you are one of the most consistent givers, very disciplined. Uh, discipline runs as a theme through everything <laughs> because you've given in 13 of the 20 years we've been um, alumni and you're a blueprint holder. So how do you think about INSEAD and giving back to INSEAD? What, what stimulates you there to, to, to give and to be so consistent? I, I mean, I'm... I, I still say, and I had said that um, I had the impression when I left INSEAD, and I have had it every year, is that INSEAD has been probably the best decision in my life, uh, educationally and professionally, and and, and overall probably, um, I, um, I it has been probably one of the best, if not the best year, also uh, somewhere in my life, and you know, I I think it's just like uh, I would not be. Who I am today without insert. So I am very thankful, grateful to insert as institution. But I would say to to you and to everybody who uh, I had the chance to cross on my path at insert, to, to our community, our yeah. class, uh, and um, with quite a number of our classmates, I, I have very regular contacts, and so it's it's a living community. Yeah. Uh, I went back to insert um, to do another diploma. In 2021, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, it was by video because there was still COVID. But um, for me, it feels like home, and it feels like Insel is just doing this incredible job of picking people. You know, for the admittance process is just absolutely excellent. So they they do the right mix and diversity of of, of people who who work together, and who keep that pride and that connection during their career and I you know I would say during their life from for many during their lifetime actually which program did you do by the way it's the corporate governance the the what it's called advanced IDB. certificate in corporate governance okay. yeah. yeah there you go well there you go cheers to INSEAD that keeps us glued together yes years later and thank you very much for being such a regular and pleasure <laughs> on our back. Uh, moving to our last section, and here I should admit that I am usually with this podcast super well organized. Those who I've been dealing with would say that, but with Alain, who is the most organized of them all, I uh, effed up a bit and then sent him the script. Uh, so let's see how quickly he thinks, because with him, the last bit is he's getting the questions for the first time now. So uh, <laughs> are you ready? Yeah. All right. Let's yeah. see. Let's see. Your proudest achievement? The combination between a professional career and a political strong involvement. Mm -hmm. Success for you is? I think the, the success is achieving your goals, subject to these goals being 
ambitious and stretch goals. Mm -hmm. Happiness is? A feeling. Happiness is a feeling. Feeling to have arrived. Feeling to be uh, happy. Feeling to do something meaningful. Feeling to be grateful. Grateful. I like this. Biggest regret, if you have any. Um, biggest regret. Actually, difficult to say. <laughs> so difficult to say. Biggest regret, I would say, in life, there are sometimes windows of opportunities. And you say no or yes, and then you regret it mm. afterwards. Mm. And I had one or two windows like this on the private side, mm. uh, where maybe I met somebody where I took a decision which today I would have taken differently. Mm. There you go. What keeps you awake at night? Or hopefully you're sleeping well nowadays. Yeah, I lucky now I, I sleep pretty well, but when I don't sleep well, uh, what keeps me awake is like big geopolitical mm. situations, like what we had two days ago with yeah. Prigozhin in, 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 in Russia. Uh, yes, that's something which I do have turned in my head sometimes. Politics is a mess globally, right? Yes. So, wish you had known or someone had told you. Nothing which comes to my mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. If you had to do it all over again, what would you change? I think I would probably be more attentive to live, to enjoying every moment. I mean, to be, to live in a more meaningful way, which means not run through life uh, like in a tunnel, but basically be more present with my mind in everything I'm doing. It's probably something which I'm doing now, which has been evolving over life. But I think that if I would have to do it again, I think that we in our Western world, we sometimes lack um, education on, um, you know, more, I would say, meditation topics, mm. more on uh, working with your subconscious, more working on yourself with, for example, in Asian cultures, uh, cultures people might be more accustomed to To do, I think we are very Cartesian, as the French mm. say, in the way we learn, and uh, we sometimes uh, do not uh, work so much on the, I say, psychological aspects of of human personalities. If you yeah. see what I mean. Being present. Yes. It's difficult for alphas, though. So I yeah. would guess a lot of our classmates are struggling with the same thing. Myself, I'm raise my hand. I'm yeah. totally <laughs> suffering from this. So. Uh, we covered retirement, so no more talk about that. And if you had to pick one book everyone should read, what would you recommend? Well, yeah, I would need to take a few minutes to go through what I read the last 20 years to pick the best one. But like, what is in the top of my mind is, is maybe more things which I, I read recently. Uh, I think one on the private side, let's take one on the private side. There is a book which many probably know, which is a book which is called Spiritual Partnership, which is uh, written by Gary Zukov, uh, which is a book about, you know, that a partnership is not something you have between friends, uh, but something between real spiritual partners which connect spiritually. And it's a very strong book. The, the first 80 pages are a bit tough to read, but then afterwards it, um, it gets better. And there are a lot of interesting lessons in it. I mean, I, I find it really very good. Uh, and then I would I would give you two two more which come to my mind uh, because it's good to have a, 
different stuff. I mean, there's one uh, which is called uh, Make Your Bet. It's a very small one by an, by an uh, U.S. Uh, admiral. And it gives kind of 10 principles of life. Um, and one is make your bed. Why make your bed? Because small things matter, etc. And so basically, it's a, it's a speech which he had given at a graduation ceremony. I think it was at West Point. I don't know where it was. And uh, it, it, it's, it's basically his uh, 10 lessons from being a Marine uh, in all his life. And it's, I find it very... There are some very, very true, non-politically correct yeah. statements. And then there's another one, which I think everybody should have read, which is a cruel book, which is called, which I guess most know, which is called The Prince uh, from uh, Machiavelli, which says a lot about human uh, realities. Mm, yeah. So three completely different things uh, yeah. which come to my mind. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, The Prince was required reading in all books, yeah, but I may be mixing things up, <laughs> so by now. All right, most admired public person? For you? Well, I mean, I, I must say, although she is not my uh, monarch, but I like very much the Queen. Uh, I, I, I just admired her a lot for what she stands for over so many generations. And, uh, um, you know, I think the, that's for me exactly what monarchy uh, should stand for. It's basically the values, it's the identity, the symbol, it's the uh, integrity and the uh, Uh, so it is really somebody I, I admire a lot. To me, it's a very interesting case of leadership, quiet leadership over a very, very long time, which we couldn't see another leader lasting so long. So, most despised public person? <laughs> well, I would, I mean, what would come to my mind is again somebody who is already dead, but uh, obviously. Uh, Characters like Hitler or Stalin would be the first which come to my mind as most uh, despised. Yeah. I mean, living people, I mean, there must be some really bad uh, dictators uh, left or right who I maybe don't know. But from the, the ones I know, I mean, the ones you see in the press today, uh, there is nobody I would despise. I mean, uh, uh, I, I think that despising, what I learned in politics is you need to work with everybody and uh, whether they are called Kim Jong-il or if they are called Putin or whoever, it's not people I would despise. I think uh, it's people I would try, of course, probably disagree with many things they are doing or most of what they are doing, obviously. But I think when you despise or even hate, you, 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 you can't make the world go forward. I think mm. one must be able to sit around the table with even the worst enemies to try to find the best outcome for, for everybody. And that's why despising uh, is really something I could only have for somebody who does things like the two I mentioned before. And that's the politician, Alain. Now I can give your name, but uh, before I give your full name, uh, last question, are you coming to reunion? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. yes. It's great pleasure. Yes. There you go. So it's October 6th in Fontainebleau. I'll stop saying this because you should all have it etched on your foreheads by now. And that was a conversation with Alain Kinsch, uh, who is an independent director, politician, and much more these days. Thank you so much for your time and for your generosity. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing you again in Fontainebleau. Me too. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank it's a pleasure. You. You were listening to the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition. 
It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and dare I say colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of Inciad yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of Inciad 20 Years Later O3D podcast edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Dare Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening.